Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Oh, baptism days are the greatest days. It's tough to follow that. Seriously, I love it. It's, it's amazing. Um, I just want to kick things off by confessing something to you this morning. Uh, I am a sucker for Instagram advertisements. I don't know how, but the algorithm has me nailed down, and every day I see something on there and think, ooh, I want that. And I've bought so many dumb things, but something popped up a couple weeks ago that made me kind of question who I am as a human being and the kind of things I'm liking and doing on the internet. It was an advertisement for a dashboard Jesus, complete with red cape. And I I don't know whether Instagram showed me this because I like a lot of stuff about Jesus, or Instagram was like, this person has got to be an 83-year-old woman who's into figurines in a big way. (laughs) It's hard to say. Or it could be that two weeks ago, while Jody was up here preaching and she shared about her dashboard, Jesus, my phone was spying on me because that's what our phones do. And it's like, if Jody has one, Mike will want one too. But I clicked on the ad and I realized, you know, Jody uses her dashboard, Jesus, as a daily reminder to worship her savior and as an excuse to engage other people in conversation about him. And that's amazing. But I thought, I doubt that that's what most people do with this dashboard Jesus. Instead, I think this thing is probably a tragically accurate picture of what a whole lot of people in our society and maybe even a whole lot of us do in our minds with Jesus. We kind of shrink him down into a little version of a savior that always agrees with us that kind of inspires us sometimes to be a little bit better, that basically comes along for the ride of our lives and hopefully blesses us in whatever it is we want to do. And we try to make him conform to our own imagination of what he should be like and how much he should ask of us. We create our own little version of God that fits neatly in a box that we can control and we can understand. Mark Twain once said, in the beginning, God created mankind in his own image, and man, being a gentleman, returned the favor. That's a really easy thing to do, but the problem with a God small enough for us to understand and control is that that's a God too small for us to trust. Certainly, it's a God too small to save us. And yet, it's really easy to find ourselves in a space where we haven't deleted Jesus from our lives, we've just diminished him. He's still a prominent part of our worldview, but he's not the preeminent part because something else has taken over that number one spot on the throne of our hearts. And the problem with that is defining down Jesus into anything less than everything Jesus is puts us on a collision course with truth. It leaves us in a space where our lives are destined to run aground upon the rocks of reality and we're going to miss out on the beauty and the meaning and the purpose that are found in knowing who he is and what that means for us. But we're not the first people to ever struggle with this. A couple thousand years ago, some new believers that made up a church in the city of Colossae 
struggled with the same thing. They were in the middle of a pagan culture that constantly tempted them to set something else on the throne of their lives. And they attempted to redefine and reimagine Jesus's role in the hopes that he would still be savior, even if he wasn't Lord. And so the Apostle Paul wrote a book to this church that we call Colossians. We're going to be there this morning. If you have a Bible or a Bible handy, you can crack it open to Colossians. It's right between Philippians and Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen or in the Revision app. And if you need a Bible or your kids do, we have a whole bunch of them back at that Next Steps table. Please take them. They're our gift to you. But last week, we kicked off this this new series, Image of the Invisible, by talking about how Paul opened his letter to the Colossians by helping them understand that the foundational principle of Christianity is grace at the beginning, grace at the end, and all grace in the middle. And what he did next was help them understand how that grace was even possible by writing a poem that is probably the clearest and most incredible picture of Jesus we have in the entire Bible. This is what Paul writes in Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's a lot to unpack, but it's beautiful. First things first, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The Colossians, not unlike us in 21st century America, existed in the middle of a culture that liked Jesus. They were kind of fans of of how he lived and some of the stuff he said, but they really struggled to believe that the God of the universe would step into the human story. And so they said, Jesus is a a great man. He's a wonderful moral example, but but he can't be God. Because if Jesus is God, that means we have no option whatsoever other than to surrender our lives to him completely and totally and something inside all of us as human beings doesn't want to do that and so Paul opens his poem by being as clear as he possibly can Jesus is God he's the invisible God made visible He's a picture of the creator of the universe that we can see walking among us and the only option is surrender That's what Jesus said himself. In John 14, he was talking to his disciples. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And one of his disciples, Philip, was like, yeah, but we haven't yet. Like, can you just give us a picture of the Father? If you show us the Father, then that'll be enough. And Jesus was like, yo, Phil, do you not get it yet, man? Look at me. You're looking at the Father. We are one. I am the God who invented everything, revealing myself to humanity. That's who I am. The word for image Paul uses in Colossians here when he says Jesus is the image of the invisible is this Greek word icon. You'll probably all be shocked to learn this morning. That's where we get the English word icon. It's Greek lessons. 
But what it means here is the exact representation. What Paul's trying to tell us is, you want to know what the creator of the universe is like? You want to know how he thinks and how he moves and how he loves? Look at Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's also the firstborn over all creation, which I think we can all admit is a weird phrase, right? Like what, is, what does that mean? Does that mean he's like the first created thing, the first one that was born before anything else was born? It almost seems like that. And in the first century, some people in Colossae thought it. And then shortly thereafter, there was this famous teacher named Arius who began to teach and preach that Jesus was the first created thing. I mean, a real stellar, amazing one, but he was, he was the first created thing in creation. And he even made up a song about it. There was a time that he was not. It's catchier in Greek, it rhymes. Hain pati out of you, Cain. It's like, hain pati out of you, Cain. It's a smash hit with the kids. Double platinum, TikTok reels and everything. But then Arius showed up at something called the Council of Nicaea, which was one of the first times that all of the Christian leaders around the world had ever been able to gather together because up to that point, the Roman Empire had persecuted and killed them. And another guy who was at that council was Santa. This is for real, okay? St. Nicholas of Myra, who became famous because it eventually came out that he had been secretly giving gold to the poor to help them out as a present. He was there also. And then Arius stood up in the council and he sang his song and St. Nicholas said, yo, I came to give presents to children and punch heretics and I'm all out of presents and dropped him. This is a true story. Actually, I don't know if he said that. I hope he said that. That would have been great. But he did punch Arius and throw him out of the council. He's like, we cannot inside the church allow any blasphemy that defines down Jesus into anything less than everything Jesus said that he is. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And Nicholas was able to say that because he and everyone else other than Arius understood something that gets lost in translation and gets muddled in English. And it's this, firstborn does not mean firstborn. I know that sounds like a weird thing for me to be arguing, but I actually don't think it should be that confusing to us because all of us know that sometimes if you take a word and break it down into its parts, you get further away from its meaning rather than closer to it. For instance, a sandwich contains neither sand nor witches. If I go to lunch today and I find either sand or witch in my sandwich, I will be so upset. I'm going to go full Karen and speak to a manager right? Then I'm going to drive home along a parkway and park in my driveway and look at pictures of butterflies, which aren't flies made out of butter or butter that flies. You get the point here, right? (laughs) Firstborn in Greek is this word prototakos. Sometimes it means the oldest child, but more often than not, it's got nothing to do with timing or chronology at all. It has to do with sovereignty, It's used to define the one who is in charge, the one who is the boss, the one who reigns supreme. In the Bible, Israel gets called the firstborn among the nations. Israel wasn't the first nation. Israel, the guy, which is the nickname God gave to Jacob, was the secondborn twin. David gets called the firstborn among kings. David wasn't the first king. He wasn't even Israel's first king. And so long story short, but all of this matters When we read that Jesus is the firstborn over creation, we're not reading that he's the first created thing chronologically. We're reading that he is the one who reigns supreme over all of it. Why? Because he created it. Paul says, in him, through him, and for him, all things were created. He was from the beginning, and in him, all things hold together. And I love that so much, because for me, it just gives me 
a profound sense of peace in this messed up world. I mean, let's be real for a second. Right now, we are all sitting on a space rock that's hurtling around a giant flaming ball of gas at 67,000 miles per hour. And we're all molecules. I'm molecules, you're molecules, the air between us is molecules, except I know I'm molecules and you know you are, but the air doesn't know it. And even the most brilliant scientists in the world can't quite figure out how all of it holds. There's ionic bonds and there's covalent bonds. And then if you zoom in a little bit, there's this cross-shaped glycoprotein called laminin that glues stuff together. And if you go even further to like the, the atomic level and get into quantum chromodynamics, you got quarks and gluons and all of that, every ounce points to a brilliant designer and not a random accident. But whatever it is you want to believe about how all of this got here, we know something is holding it. And Paul in Colossians tells us what? Or more accurately, who? Jesus is the glue, the physical glue, the spiritual glue, and the moral glue that is holding the universe together. And for me, I can't help but think, if he's got the whole world in his hands, you and me, brother, in his hands, you and me, sister, in his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. That song is deeper, truer, and more theologically accurate than most of us ever realized when we were growing up. But if it's true that Jesus can hold all things together, the oceans and the mountains and the stars, then there's absolutely nothing in your life that he can't handle. There is no pain. There is no brokenness. There is no obstacle you're ever going to face that he can't carry you through. Because in Jesus, all things hold together. And he's not just the one who spoke the cosmos into motion. He's also the one that stepped in after we broke it. After we turned our backs on God and rejected him, Jesus crashed into the human story and gave his life so that we could be forgiven and set free. He bled and was beaten and he died because life and blood had to be paid as the penalty for sin. Death is the consequence of sin. It's just a natural reality because of the way the fabric of the universe was knit together. And when life needed to be paid, Jesus gave his own. The inventor of life experienced death. Then he unlocked it from the inside. So Paul calls him the firstborn among the dead, which is a super cool nickname. I think it'd be a great superhero. Like Black Panther, Iron Man, Captain America, firstborn among the dead. It's great. And again, it has nothing to do with chronology and everything to do with supremacy. Because we know there are people God raised from the dead before Jesus was raised from the dead, right? The thing about all of them, though, is they died again. I think it's fair to say they were resuscitated more than resurrected. They got patched up and the patches held for a while until they didn't hold anymore. It'd be like, hypothetically, if you ran over a turtle with your car and you glued its shell back together, it could be a good pet for a while, but then it would die. That's the exact same thing that happened to all these people. Jesus is a completely different ballgame, though, because he never died again. He beat death, not just for his own sake, but for ours. The Bible could not be more clear. He's the owner of life, not just the inventor of life, which means he can give it to whomever he pleases, and he will give it to anyone, no matter who they are, where they've been, what they've done, or what's been done to them. He gives it freely to anyone who will trust in his sufficiency and in his supremacy. 
He's the only one that could save us, but his death and resurrection accomplished that completely. You guys, Jesus is enough. He's enough. In a world that constantly tempts us to believe that we don't have enough, in a world full of voices that constantly scream into our souls that we'll never be enough until we get a little bit of this and a little bit that and a little bit more, Jesus is enough. He's enough. I think if Paul were here today, he'd put it to us like this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything because he gave everything to reconcile you and me into right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. That's what he was all about, reconciling a shattered creation to the lives and the beauty that he created it for. He came to make peace through his blood shed on the cross. If you've been around revision for any length of time, you've probably heard me talk about this before, but this word peace Paul uses in Colossians 1.20 refers to this Hebrew concept of shalom. Shalom is a state of being where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Jesus is the only pathway to shalom. He is the creator, sustainer, and savior of the universe and nothing less, which means he cannot simply be the dashboard ornament of our lives. He's gotta be the driver. Look, I I don't know what it is that's competing with him for the throne of your heart today. I don't know what's going on in your life right now that's tempting you to diminish Jesus. But I wanna invite you this week and in this season to remember who he is, to surrender your life fully to him as Lord and Savior, to put him on the throne because that is the only way. It's the only way you're ever gonna live abundantly. It's the only way you're ever gonna experience the peace and the beauty and the purpose he created you for. It's the only way you will ever be whole. I wanna challenge all of you to do something. Just in this season, as we prepare for Easter, it's seven weeks away, it's 50 days. I wanna challenge everybody every single day from now till Easter to read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. You can print it off. Maybe stick it on your dashboard. Let that be your dashboard ornament. But read it. It will take you 30 seconds. I just think if we commit 30 seconds a day for the next 50 days to reading this poem about who Jesus was, it will help all of us orient our hearts toward truth and orient our lives toward life. Every day, Read these words. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You guys, I think we all need a bigger Jesus in the middle of, of a world that constantly tempts us to settle for a smaller one. Because it's only when we stop trying to make him into our image that he can do the transformative work of making us into his. 
And the more Jesus that comes alive in you and me, the more peace, purpose, hope, life, and love we'll experience. The less we'll trample the God image in the people around us or allow them to trample it in us. And the more shalom we will live with every day of our lives. Will you just pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for stepping into our broken world. We admit that it's easy for us to minimize you, to shrink you down, to make you a dashboard ornament rather than the driver of our lives, that we're constantly tempted to put something else on the throne and love something else more than we love you. But I pray, I pray, Lord, that we would see you for who you are, that we wouldn't define you down to anything less than all that you are, Jesus, and that your beauty would overwhelm us in such a way that we give everything to you, that we allow you to sit on the throne of our lives, that we know you are enough and that we believe every single day that you carry us. Jesus, thank you for how you love. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for us. And thank you for the hope that allows us to walk out of here and live with today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.